The U.S. Open Cup run comes to an early end, but Nashville SC extends an unbeaten streak in league play to seven games with three straight wins after a 3-1 win over Columbus on Sunday night. And that goal, courtesy of Apple TV, Teal Bunbury's winner, of course, then the coup de grace scored by none other than Hani Mukhtar. And Tim, great news, Walker Zimmerman, Randall returned to the league pitch. Almost everything is coming up golden for Nashville SC. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I am formerly the radio voice of Nashville SC, Wes Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of clubcountryusa.com. That is now eight games undefeated. Six of them wins as Nashville SC is absolutely rolling. And uh, the boys in gold after the win in Columbus, second in the table. Granted, they have played one game more than much of the conference, and they'll take the midweek off while watching most of their compadres play before traveling to Dallas on the weekend. And uh, Tim, it was a, a, a big time test for Nashville coming off a come from behind wind in Charlotte. It's going to be a little demoralizing losing in cup play, even with a, a second choice roster. Columbus goes up in, I think, what may have been the earliest goal ever yeah. scored against Nashville. And it was the, it was the, I believe it was the second earliest goal ever scored by a Columbus crew in regular season play too. So it was very, uh, it was, it was breaking new ground for both sides, I guess. And it was a beautiful strike from Yaya Boa Mm -hmm. that you you can quibble with with not closing him him down. But yeah. it was just one of those, you're not going to shut out everybody all the time, even if you have the best defense in the league. And yet Nashville summoned its resolve, came back and scored three times in response to get a win over a Columbus team that, not speaking for you, but I know I believe is going to be in the mix when all is said and done. They're too talented not to be. Statement for Nashville SC? Yeah, Columbus does stink on the road, and that's kind of been behind their fall down the table after their extremely hot start to the year. But I don't think anybody expects them to be outside the playoff positions at this point um, a month from now, much less come September. I do believe that this is a team that even if they don't find their way on the road, they're, they're going to win enough games at home. They're going to be solid enough on the road to, to be in the playoff picture, to potentially be hosting a, a home playoff game. Columbus has the talent. Um, I wrote in my preview that they're kind of a, a less extreme version of Atlanta United, where they're reliant on a couple key players. Um, defense not very good. Those those key players that they rely on in attack can can kind of be taken out of the game a little bit. And if you do that, this this team is is not super great. But they're also less extreme about that, as we saw. Yayo Boa, with no involvement from Lucas Elrion and and Kucha Hernandez, managed to get a screamer, and that's something that you know. I guess Cujo technically got the assist on it, but he, you know, he dropped the pass to him in the middle of the field. It was not exactly a, a moment of brilliance on the assist. So this is a Columbus team that as they continue to get contributions from guys like y'all, we'll get back to where we expected them to be when we saw the way they started the year. Columbus, the second highest scoring team in the Eastern Conference, third highest in MLS, got their goal, but Nashville with three. And now the boys in gold, Tim, have the highest goal differential in the Eastern Conference, of course, on the strength of a defense that's led in fewer goals than anybody else in Major League Soccer, tied with LAFC. But the goal tally now at 22 is as the attack starting to come into form. And yet some of those obviously late, almost quote unquote, empty netters, if you will, like Hani Mukhtar's two on one mm-hmm. uh, conversion that was by no means academic, but uh, Nashville benefiting from, uh, I think, a, a, an attack that's playing with some confidence now as well. Yeah, well, that has been something that that Nashville's scoring numbers, I think, maybe in the past were artificially deflated a little bit. They weren't going to go up to one and then pour in three or four more like we saw from you know recent editions of New York City FC or LAFC. This is a club that has historically kind of said we've got our one goal lead. We're going to sit on it and they're not doing that anymore. And that makes uh, for a lot more fun <laughs> at the very least. I don't know necessarily if if it ever ends up biting them if, if Gary Smith will kind of go back to his maybe slightly more conservative instincts but it is something that is, has made for a really fun time Nashville is going out and, and trying to score even when they have a lead and that makes for exciting soccer Nashville caps the month with 13 points above what you or I said would be a, a fair expectation for a good month I think I you said anything more than 10 I said 11 I which by definition is more than 10 uh so Nashville so you were closer that. uh so what, more than I 10. will uh, accept my defeat on that one. Thanks for not taking the technicality. More than 10 could be anything, and therefore you nailed it. Um, that's that's good. You were vague. I was specific and missed it by a couple points, but uh, national fans not mad that I missed it on the uh, on the downside. 
Early, early, early shout, though, we will cover the, the downer news of the week, which is, of course, Nashville's elimination from the U.S. Open Cup at the hands of a Miami team that played a stronger side than Nashville did, or at least started a stronger side. Uh, and we'll look at the possible possibility for a midseason surge in league play for Nashville SC as the equation gets much tougher in June than it was in May because Nashville's going away from home a lot. And in the mailbag, we'll project what June could or should look like for the boys in gold and also get a little tactical. Let's get tactical, tactical, uh, and discuss Shaq Moore in the attack where, at least in one uh, listener's observation, Moore's not been quite as involved. Uh, he did have a killer cross, by the way, to Hani Mukhtar in the second half uh, against Columbus. But what are the numbers, what are the position uh, diagrams tell us about where Shaq Moore is in that attack, especially when Nashville employs that diamond? We'll go outside in and reset the standings in the Eastern Conference as somehow the halfway point of the season is approaching. And the launch pad, a brief recap of Huntsville's loss to Red Bulls at home. But first, Tim, ML Rose has a new selling point, at least for my two-year-old. He's been there. <laughs> he enjoys the burgers. He enjoys, you hand him a French fry, he's going to be happy no matter where he is. But it's the owl in the logo. Just a heads up, if for whatever reason your kids don't want to go out to eat, and you're going for tell, your tell them they'll see stop. an owl. <laughs> you're going to see an owl. And now don't <laughs> overpromise here. There's no actual living owl inside the restaurant. We were at the park and in the library uh, last weekend and looking for a place to stop for, for a quick bite on the way home. And I offered my son a, a couple of options, two-year-old son. So not exactly discerning uh, when it comes to culinary taste yet. And yet I said, do you want to go to the place with the owl? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and he was transfixed. He was very excited to see the uh, ML Rose. Of course, if you're missing what we're going for here, there's it's an owl logo. Podcast is a visual medium. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, ML Rose, I guess, uh, is is an is an owl. Um, so anyway, that just an, an added draw. And I know Tim is the as the dad of a couple of young ones as well. Just just FYI, if for whatever reason, toddlers are being toddlers or kids are being kids. <laughs> the owl is a draw as well. Yeah, I mean, I think you probably had a pretty good selling point of uh, it's across the street from the library and park. But yes, but hey, the owl works, too. Uh, yeah, obviously, we talk a lot about the food. We talk a lot about the atmosphere, but we do not talk enough about the owl, I think. And that's a major selling point for ML Rose. And we're we're very happy to be sponsored by the, the number one owl oriented bar in Nashville. <laughs> it is indeed a hoot to go to ML Rose. Mm. And I let the that, Olivia Newton-John one slide. I am not letting that one slide. <laughs> it was it was pretty poor, and we're off to a rough start, just like Nashville was against Columbus. But hopefully, uh, you and I, or you and I, I'm including, including you in that. Hopefully, I can redeem myself just as the boys in gold did <laughs> on Sunday night. Let's get into the early shout out. There was no redemption for Nashville in U.S. Open Cup play, as heavy rotation resulted in victimization at the hands of a Miami team that. To, they, they were more aggressive with their personnel. There's no question about it. When they're playing guys like DeAndre Yedlin, Kamal Miller, uh, up, up top they had Campana and they had Joseph Martinez, gifted players in the lineup. Nashville, almost wholesale rotation, 10 changes, uh, and uh, only one regular starter, that being Jack Mayer. Leal comes back in. It was clear that I think our forecast was correct, that Nashville mm -hmm. did not prioritize the Open Cup, and yet still... A bit disappointing to lose and be eliminated when you look at USL competition now in the round of eight that would have been local and, almost. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the and the fact that Nashville, even with that second choice side, hung tit for tat with Miami and, and even outplayed them in parts. Yeah, it was it was a match that um you know, you're disappointed in the result. And um, you know, before the match, and and I have pretty consistently said my preference would be for Nashville to take the U.S. Open Cup as seriously as possible. And um, Gary Smith would admit that he probably did not do that, at least for a half in Miami on, on Tuesday evening. But it's a situation where if the if the club is happy kind of saying we want to focus on league play, so be it. Um, obviously, a guy like Jack Mayer is is in there and and showed out exactly like he does during league play. Um, I think the fact that Nashville was able to get 45 minutes for Randall Leal is something that probably was the most important thing other than some rest for some of the starters that they got out of that match. And like you mentioned, despite the heavy rotation, they still almost went down there and, and won. And that's something that uh, probably doesn't reflect particularly well upon Phil Neville. I, I think if he had lost that match, he would probably not be the Miami coach today after they lost to Montreal over the weekend. So, um, you know, 
yes, it's it's disappointing. Um, I understand, but don't agree with some of those personnel decisions, I guess. So you don't agree. You you think Nashville should have pushed a little harder when yes. you're four wins away from CCL play. Absolutely. And especially when you look at the, the path there, um, they obviously didn't know on, on Tuesday night that they were going to be able to to be playing against a USL team. Had they won, it was uh, was it Charlotte and, and Birmingham? Is that what the match was? Yes. Um, so it was it was a situation where, yes, a Charlotte team that you that you uh, took easy care of the previous the previous game or a USL side. But no, nonetheless, you look at it and you say, like you mentioned, four four matches away from not only CCL play, but lifting your first trophy as an MLS club is something that, um, you know, yes, there's there's a chance that Nashville can still lift a trophy. They could lift League's Cup. They are not out of the mix for Supporters Shield, which you would not have guessed before this seven-game undefeated streak here. They're obviously not out of the mix for MLS Cup, but those are all many more than four games away where we stand today, and that's something that I think Nashville could have kind of they had the the uh, the order of the events gave them the opportunity to focus a little bit more on U S open cup. And if they had lost by putting out their best lineup, so be it, they could really focus on league play or, or leagues cup uh, coming up in July. But um, as it is, they made the choice that, that I would not have made. And uh, I can't, I can't tell them it was the wrong choice unless and until they don't lift some tr- hardware at the end of the year, in which case uh, surely I'll, I'll have a scathing review for the, <laughs> the decision. <laughs> I'll maintain that I believe it was the right choice and I don't want to see this team eliminated from cup competition. I was not saying, Hey, get, get this out of the way. So the club can, can make a push for, for supporter shield. But I, I think, and that leads into the topic I want to discuss next. I think supporter shield is a legitimate aspiration for this team now. And I, I don't think they're a favorite for it. I think that the team could indeed make some sacrifices down the road for load management purposes and, and, and sacrifice that and, and still be very happy with a third or fourth place finish, which, which is probably way more likely for them to end up than first. But Tim, I want to, I want to address that with you because of that, at least distant hope I'm okay with rotating and taking your chances against a downtrodden Miami team didn't work out, but is this in your opinion, a supporter shield contending team? Do you think that Nashville has a realistic shout at getting there or will Gary Smith, make some trade-offs later in the season because he prefers to have guys ready to go for playoff time. I think if it comes to a point where you're looking at, at the fall approaching and this club is, is still in the mix for a potential supporter shield, the foot will not be taken off the gas to say the very least. I th- that's true of the number one seed in the Eastern conference, even if um, LAFC and or St. Louis is, is going to take the supporter shield out of the West. I think Nashville will still go for that number one seed in the East. If as long as it's available, the question is, is do they have the juice to get there? And, um, you know, does a, a DP number nine arrive in the summer and kind of even raise the ceiling even further? Because like I mentioned just a few weeks ago, I would not have guessed that this club would would be second in the East right now. Um, I certainly, you know, wouldn't have guessed that we'd be talking supporter shield on the on the May 29th episode of the show for sure. So that's I mean, that's the nature of sports. It's the nature of soccer. And the most important thing to keep in mind is that we haven't seen a fully healthy team in a really long time. Like they, they're on the seven game win streak, mostly without Walker Zimmerman entirely without Randall Layall. There's upside for this club. Plus that potential signing in the summer of a, of a designated player. Yeah. I, I, I think that if it comes to that point, Gary Smith will not be saying, Hey, let's, let's avoid hardware. <laughs> like he uh, didn't, didn't explicitly say for the U S open cup, but certainly uh, it was not priority number one at that stage. Yeah, I think this team can contend. I think this month will tell us a lot and we'll get into the dynamics of four of the next five games being on the road. Uh, I'll, I'll boldly predict that Nashville's not going to be in second position at the end of June, uh, but that, that doesn't necessarily rule them out for Supporter Shield. But this is the time, I think, Tim, where Nashville can separate itself as a Supporter Shield contender if they can pick up, you know, two road wins in four or more. Uh, and and continue this run of of being unbeaten and and snatch some draws on the road against the likes of a uh, Montreal who's good at home or a Columbus who's quite good at home. I think this is a chance for them yeah. to put themselves in position that July first, when we are getting ready for a home match against DC United, you can say, hey, a few games now, then League's Cup, and then there's a push for this team to finish top of the table. Yeah, and and you know. Like, like you just said, the reason that we don't know now is because this could be such a crucial time. Nashville is one of the home heaviest teams so far this year, which is ironic given, uh, I guess, what we were used to experiencing over the past couple of years at MLS. But if they can go on the road and say, hey, we are 
we are going to continue this undefeated streak on the road, just like we have built it at home, then I think you really start to say the ceiling on this club goes up. Two bits of gold nuggets, first uh, future schedule since we're talking about it, and then recent performance. Uh, Nashville for the rest of the season only has one instance of consecutive home games the rest of the way. And it's Seattle and Orlando, the end of September and beginning of October. That, of course, not counting League's Cup action, but purely in league play. So they're not going to have these home stands. This was it. And they took advantage of, of that opportunity, having a majority of games at home uh, and, and winning a lot of them. But Tim, now the, the true test is, I think, this club's ability to sustain identity when you've seen Gary Smith play differently quite often at home than he does on the road. You can't sustain identity with three straight home games or you or three straight road just being tough to beat. You've got to start or continue, I guess, stealing three points away from home and then coming back home and being the same aggressive, proactive team. Does the diamond help you be a little more consistent and stable home to road, home to road versus switching shapes or switching identities a little more heavily depending on where you're playing? Hmm. I haven't thought about that, but possibly, yes. It allows you to to have a uh, a the ability to press without exposing yourself a whole lot. That's why Philadelphia has been primarily a diamond team over the years because they want to press, but they also want to be solid in case of, of turnover. Um, even Red Bulls, who are uh, far less interested in, in being solid at the back in case of a turnover, have gone with the press at, over the years at times. Um, you know, right now that I, I think they're they're back with more of a four box two than a four diamond two, but it does allow you to play differently without playing differently. <laughs> I guess is the best way to put it. Um, what we saw uh, on Sunday night was was Nashville putting Dax McCarty at the base of the diamond, and and we have seen the three non-Hani members of the diamond essentially rotate through those positions over the course of this stretch where Nashville has played the diamond. But we saw a little bit more with, with Anibal Godoy staying a little bit more reserved as, as almost back to a, an unbalanced, um, you know, four, almost four, two, three, one sort of philosophy, similar to what Nashville has done in the past. You have the ability to do that. If you come out with the diamond personnel and of course the flexibility of a guy like Alex Will and, and, Somewhat surprisingly for me, Godoy has, has had the ability to play wide a little bit more than we would have expected. You can shift it around a little bit and you don't get exposed on the counter like Nashville is, is essentially deathly afraid of having happen on the road. Sure. Um, th- that's the main thing that has changed what Nashville has been home to road over the years is that they simply do not want to concede on the road because they think that that's uh, the, the greater risk is is conceding than the reward of scoring at times on the road and at home they they kind of trust the their knowledge of the pitch and the home crowd to to carry them through that and and we see it that it has been very successful applying that to the road is something that I think the diamond does help um I don't know that it's it's a game changer necessarily I think if Nashville really starts going for it on the road it's just because they feel confident in good form that they have the ability and personnel to go out and win some games on the road, which in the past they might not have quite had that confidence. Yeah. I see it as, as making you much, you know, much stronger in the area where when Nashville has struggled, they've struggled on the scoreboard and that is winning duels, you know, winning those 50, 50 battles, narrowing the field, winning possession, breaking the other way uh, in Nashville's last four games, they've either, either broken even or won the duels battle. And I think that is a factor in, in making you a little uh, less vulnerable. And and yet, obviously, what Wilfred Nancy tried to do and what Columbus looked like they might be successful in doing for a bit was to spread Nashville out, to make the field wider, to break Nashville out of that diamond. And Boys and Gold ended up doing a great job adapting that press and funneling things back into the center of the pitch, in my opinion, and then that open space uh, to create opportunities gashing and being a little more direct against Columbus. Uh, the other piece I want to discuss briefly is uh, on the XG side of things and Nashville's you know, but burgeoning attack. Now their four highest XG performances of the season have come in their last four games. Uh, uh, sorry, last four home games uh, for Nashville as uh, I think, you know, Hani Mukhtar, his his emergence, which is a really funny word to say about Hani Mutar, but his emergence onto the score sheet, as opposed to just being a factor in buildup, has almost single-handedly probably made that difference. But he's allowed to do that, Tim, because of the speed and and resourcefulness of veterans like Pico, uh, the 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 battle of Bunbury, Schaffelberg coming in and opening up those counterattacks. I think the equation seems to be coming together for the boys in gold at home now, as evidenced again by those numbers. Columbus, the third highest XG of the season in the match. And now the four in the last four home games, four highest. 
Yeah, and then the the speed is obviously a factor, and and the change in formation allows Nashville to to get that speed going more vertically. Um, obviously, early in the year, we saw Jacob Schaffelberg and and Pico um, playing wide, and they would they would get into dangerous positions. And yes, they scored from those dangerous positions out wide. But uh, it's a lot more dangerous to have uh, another striker there with you to have the ability to. Um, you know, turn the counter into into extreme danger real quick. And we saw twice late Sunday, one of them, Hani obviously finished the other one, Schaffelberg and, and Hani almost, almost uh, had a, I, I feel bad for Hani because that was a golden chance that, yeah. that they had together. But he, he sh- I hate to say he should have done better with it because it's, it's real big, dumb English um, discussion of it, but really should have at least had a better chance to put it on frame. But that's the sort of thing that Nashville has been able to do at home. Taking it on the road is is uh, you're going to be able to draw opponents out more, and and I think the the diamond might help on the count. I'm you. I hadn't even thought about it, but now that you mentioned it, I'm really selling myself on the on the diamond being perfect for for road play. So it'll be interesting to watch. Glad I can make you think about that. I love that it can it can help you do two different things as a team, but it makes you a little more co- cohesive and consistent. I mean, we saw so often Gary going to a five three man back line on the road and then switching back to the four three three or four two three one at home, and it's nice to to have that um, that identity, especially as Leal works his way back in and allows Hani to have some positional versatility as well, either being one of the two strikers or being at the top of that diamond with Leal as a shuttler. There's just so many pieces you can do so much with here, uh, which is is a luxury for this team. Speaking of pieces, you can do a lot with so many options at ML Rose to combine. And uh, put together some strong 11s, if you will. Although if you're eating 11 menu items, you're going to be pretty full, unless it just happens to be 11 wings or 11 fries. Uh, Tim, anything that you've discovered in MLROs lately or or dreaming of trying here that we don't normally discuss on the show? Um, totally putting you on the spot. Yeah, you're you're totally putting me on the spot. I have to I have to pull up some of the new the newer menu. <laughs> I'll go. Really I'll go way. first while you think about it. And mine mine is El Hombre. It's a spicy spicy burger. I love spicy food. I've actually never had it. I, I typically go with either the Belgian or the animal style or a traditional cheeseburger. Um, but uh, El Hombre has has a little extra kick to it, a little extra fire, some creative ingredients. And what I love is that Emil Rose is not afraid to experiment with different flavor combinations. But it starts and ends with the quality of the meat, whether it's impossible meat or whether it's their signature ground beef. I made burgers last night at home and was so disappointed in my effort because now I'm spoiled by what ML Rose has to offer. So they're not going to experiment so broadly that they lose the the essence of a burger in the in the first place. And that quality to me is their hallmark. All right, here we go. I found something, which is yeah. it's off the beaten path for me, which is... I mean, I've had pretty much everything else at ML. <laughs> and then, as I've said in the past, I, I tend to find something that I like. Um, let's call it, for example, the uh, the waffle fries. <laughs> Excuse me. Carolina sweet waffle fries. But uh, I don't typically eat a ton of turkey. But as we've discussed many times, I, I try to reduce my red meat intake. But the Bakersfield burger, which is essentially a California style uh, burger with uh, barbecue sauce, which is not necessarily... Uh, what you would expect, but a turkey patty, um, sprouts, uh, get, get a little bit of greenery in your system. Um, looks really, really good. Uh, ne- I think next time I may, <laughs> I may it's great. ML Rose, I might have to go grab that one because it looks really good. I've done that to go on the lighter side, but still have meat. It is outstanding. There's a guacamole on that too, if I'm not mistaken. Please, please correct. Uh, it's me avocado mash. I don't know how we're separating the two okay. in, in our okay so perhaps so. a little less like salsa and onion in there and cilantro yeah. it's it's really fresh it's refreshing it's almost kind of like eating a, a club sandwich but it's a burger i guess is maybe hmm. a good way to put that but with some added but i don't i don't like uh i don't like sliced turkey that much so doing the turkey patty seems to really tie the room together for me so you're not a member of the club no no I'm not Mitch Hedberg they, they won't even let me in man <laughs> Mitch Hedberg would be very disappointed uh, ML Rose, 8th Avenue, uh, West Nashville, Capitol View, and expanding, and also Mount Juliet, I should mention. Great pregame spot, but don't limit it, as uh, Cameron and I didn't limit it. We went Friday, not before a game, uh, but just because. It was right across from the park, and there was an owl on the sign. Uh, I had bigger reasons than that, but those were his. Uh, <laughs> moving into the mailbag, we've already previewed what June looks like, but just to to set the stage for what's to come for Nashville. And then ask a question, as we do at the outset of most months, about what we expect at FC Dallas this weekend, at Toronto, who's in shambles but did beat DC United, for what that's worth, at home, hosting St. Louis at Montreal in midweek, and then at Columbus. That is 
June for this team. And Wesley Bryant says, you know what time it is. June point total prediction. Here's what I got. I think you can afford to chalk one of those road matches up as a loss. There are none of those that you look at and say, oh, that's so tough. Nashville's not going to get anything out of it. But chances are the unbeaten run's not going to continue another month. So just take one of these that's not Toronto and say, it's a loss. You know what? Columbus might be that one, uh, especially after a midweek match against Montreal. Draw two of those road matches, Dallas and Montreal, I kind of eyeball as that, and win twice. Eight points to me in five matches. It's not going to overwhelm but it's going to keep you in a good place, probably in the top four. The one thing you don't want to do is lose to Toronto. Uh, That's the one where you want to take three on the road. Uh, Dallas, tough at home, solid team, talented up top, decent defense. Montreal, good at home. Columbus, still an outstanding team. St. Louis, we've differed on a little bit, but I think we both agree that the numbers overvalue them, and St. Louis coming to Nashville is a big factor. So I say draw, draw Dallas, beat Toronto, beat St. Louis, Draw or lose Montreal Columbus. Pick a draw for one, loss for the other, eight points. This is a really tough stretch, um, mostly because of the amount of road play versus home play. But um, you know, we talked about how Columbus is a very bad road team compared to their home form, but that's partially because they're really good at home too. So um Dallas does have the worst home field advantage in the league based on expected goals for uh and against opponent adjusted, and that's in comparison to their road play. So they are team that you would expect to be vulnerable a real fun fact about fc dallas that i found completely otherwise is in every single game of theirs but one the road team has scored one goal so far this year they have allowed one goal in every single home game and they were shut out once on the road but every other time they have scored one goal so nashville goes goes to dallas do you expect them to win one zero draw one one or lose or lose (laughs) uh while scoring one goal who knows but i think the other three road games are against teams um, that are much better in their home venues. I just mentioned Columbus. Um, St. Louis is actually better in XG terms on the road, although they have finished, um, we've talked about the horseshoe up their butt for much of the year. They finished miraculously well at home in ways that they haven't on the road. So I think draw Dallas, which obviously means a 1-1 prediction at this stage, <laughs> um, draw Toronto. And if there's going to be a winner in that one, I lean that it's a revenge win after the the just awful draw in Geodis mm-hmm. Park. Um, beat St. Louis, I think that that is a must. I think... St. Louis is a team that that looks a lot better than they are, and, and Nashville needs to be a team to put them in their place if they want to be um, still in contention for a supporter shield and things that we've talked about. And hold on for a draw at Montreal, which is playing much better, much better at home as well. Lose at Columbus. Beating Columbus at um, ML Rose Stadium presented by the Columbus Blue Jackets is, is difficult. They are really good there. So I've got six points from five games, but I can obviously see it being more than I can see it being fewer points in terms of that that really, really tough June road stretch. It's funny because I think eight points, most supporters look at and say, all right, that's a reasonable month. And yet six for some reason seems seems low to me. seems like it would be a disappointment. Um, and yeah. the difference here- I, I, I think it would be disappointing, but it, I, we talk about, about fans being too down on the team a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I, we try to, to, to play it steady down the middle. I think there might be because of this road streak or uh, excuse me, undefeated streak, a little bit of a uh going in the other direction and i think keeping reasonable expectations and and potentially beating those reasonable expectations yes is is probably the way to go right now and not even just looking at these games in isolation but the cumulative effect of playing so many away from home i think can can certainly catch Mm -hmm. up to you as well Mm -hmm. uh so uh yeah i i I could see it and the lone difference in our projections here is just i think i expect nashville to win in toronto and you you're putting a draw as the floor with again possibility for a winner so it should be interesting but i think we both would expect nashville to drop places in the table and that's not a sign of alarm if that happens uh wanderer how are we doing yellow card accumulations i responded to his tweet with a link to the mls disciplinary summary which is useful but it's usually updated into the week a little bit has not been uh just yet just a, a reminder five yellow cards is a one game suspension But if you go five straight appearances without a card, you get amnesty, you get one of those knocked off. And so, Tim, with the the, the webpage I've linked in mind, update us as where things stand now after this weekend. Yeah, so Nashville has only picked up 26 cards so far this season, which is pretty low. Opponents have 35 from the fire. Uh, Congrats to Chicago for for seeing a lot of uh, yellow and occasional red with 42. New England has committed just 18 yellow card infractions. Um, in terms of players that that lead the way uh, in this not-so-positive <laughs> um, stat for Nashville, let's see Shaq Moore, Alex Muehl, Teal Bunbury, and Dax McCarty 
all have three yellow cards on the air, which is not a lot. Um, obviously, the fourth one, they'd be kind of on, on the edge here. But it's also worth noting, you mentioned the amnesty situation. Shaq, Teal, and Dax have all had one removed for good behavior. So they're sitting on two current cards. That leaves Mwil as the only player who is two cards away from a suspension. But he's also gone three straight without a card, um, including Sunday night. So if he can go two more, he's back to two as well. So uh, I guess long story short, there is really not a lot to worry about for Nashville at this point. I think they're probably more likely to have somebody get a red card <laughs> before they have somebody get a yellow card accumulation suspension. Uh, just a, a note here. Dallas plays in midweek. They have a couple guys who are uh, one away from suspension. Edwin Cerillo, Paxton Pomichol. So two midfielders there. Uh, although I do not immediately know if they received a yellow card in their weekend match. So they may um, actually Does Pomacall have... still have a mustache? I think he might have shaved it off. So that itself that's, is that, 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 that is also worth amnesty for one yellow card, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. I'm looking now. So neither of those guys were carded in the 1-1 draw with uh, San Jose that resulted actually in a fracas there at the end. Uh, so both those guys risks if they pick up a yellow against Sporting KC. If you'd like to keep an eye on something other than the scoreline and be a sicko like we are. Uh, Stooks be hugging. Do you think Hani's in his quote top form yet? He's ahead of pace from last year at the same point in the schedule. Is he fully cooking yet, or is he still preheating? Either way, he's working on an MVP casserole. Damn it, Stooks. Now I'm hungry. I have a question. Do you, does everybody else do this where it says preheat oven to whatever, but you just put the food item in before it's done preheating? Oh, you don't want to wait time. for it. Okay, okay, okay cool. unless it's Pizza or steak where you need... Oh, pizza Pizza is the easiest one because you can just look at it and see if it's done. But baking, you can't do it, but cooking, you can. So, yeah, oh, totally. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Just just checking. Important. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, I think you look at, at the how for a lot of what Hani has done so far. Um, on Sunday night, his assist came on a corner, which is nice, but it's not really necessarily a play that he's like involved in creating other than being the guy who's the designated corner taker. And then his capper came after he'd missed an open shot minutes earlier. I, I just talked about it a second ago, the one-two with Schaffelberg that didn't quite come off. That uh, can be disappointing to people, I guess. But to me, it means there's still more. If he if he really kind of fine-tunes some of that stuff, um, obviously, if he had scored that one, Nashville's probably not pushing for the one that he does ultimately put in. But I do think when you look at some of the how in terms of, of the way he's been playing over the past few weeks, yes, the stats are there. They are absolutely there. But there's even more for him if if he continues playing the way he has. Yeah, what's terrifying is he's about to be set free tactically with Randall Leal's return. I mean, he may still be at the top of the diamond, and we are seeing that he can perform there. But if he's moved up to be a, a second striker with Leal at the top of the diamond, he has even more opportunity to be the guy instead of having quite as much responsibility to play further back in the formation and bring the attack up. I don't think his role is fundamentally different because he's given freedom as his Leal any way to work kind of within the confines of that system and do it when he wants. But I, I would guess that Hani Mukhtar will have more than doubled his goal tally by the end of the season from where he is now at almost the halfway point in the season. That's my prediction. God forbid he suffers injury. Hopefully, you know, he stays healthy, plays as many minutes. I think we see a 20 goal season on Hani Mukhtar this year. And if that happens, what do you think in terms of potential back-to-back -back MVP, yeah. which is like, it's not quite unprecedented, but it's it would be right up there. Uh, he'll deserve it. Uh, I think, <laughs> uh, you, you know, didn't check, check who the third most important player on the revs is. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Watch out. Uh, Gustavo Bo, it's coming to your way. Um, no, I think Denny Boanga, I think it's going to be a runaway mm -hmm. supporter shield team, honestly, for LAFC. Once they really get things rolling this summer, if Boanga sticks around, which I believe he, he will this year, he probably scores as many goals. They're a supporter shield team and Hani's a runner up and probably a hard luck runner up. Uh, that's my prediction. There's so many variables going at the end of the season uh, that will determine that. But um, I think Hani will do his part to put himself in contention and will be a finalist without without question. All right, let's get tactical, tactical as we tease Wesley Bryant. Since the diamond, it seems Shaq is less a piece of the attack in in games. He seems frustrated. Do you see the same? Do the numbers back it up? Tim, take it. I mean, just from an eyeball test, I actually, I disagree. And then I also looked up. I have a visual aid here that's for Wes only because this is an audio. This is really good, here, but you guys are missing yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, to me, the simple answer is no. 
Um, again, uh, the visual aid kind of tells the story a little bit, but he's contributing about the same number of key passes as he had been before the shift. And his expected assist value is actually higher um, on a per game basis. We're not talking in statistically significant difference terms here. Uh, low sample sizes for both kind of halves of the season so far, pre-diamond and, and post-diamond. Um, but in terms of just how it works tactically, I wrote a story about this. Uh, back in the USL days, so a really long time ago. I'll try and dig it up and maybe link it when I when I post the podcast on the website. But the diamond specifically requires the fullbacks, which is at least one fullback, but but it can be both fullbacks to push forward and be, get engaged in the attack. Otherwise, the formation is just way too narrow. Your attack can get bogged down a little bit, and then the opponent can really attack you in the channels between the diamond and the fullback. So the fullbacks really do have to get forward a little bit more. You need that for the width, and it seems like, you know, I think the move to the diamond was specifically in part because of what Shaq can provide in the attack. And yeah, he hasn't been necessarily, you know, pouring in assists or pouring in goals or anything, but I don't think it's a it's a process issue. I just think it it hasn't happened, and that's, you know, their kids are on scholarship too, trying to prevent Shaq from getting assists, and that's, that's what is, has really gone on. There's no real change to his involvement, and um, if anything, I, I would say – if he hasn't been more, which the visual aid would really would really show you that it's about the same, but maybe a little <laughs> bit more. I, I think that there's more upside for him if that's the case. Shall we shall we tweet this out, a screenshot of this in the week? We can put, yeah, we can put OC. it, we can put it out with the it's uh, really good. I mean, I'll, I'll have to clean it up a little bit because I just did it for you. It's it's not for the people. <laughs> it's really good though. And it helps me understand as I pretend that I'm speaking intelligent from my own observation here, uh, while I'm looking at this statistical analysis and and what you're seeing, a couple of different factors here as the as the season uh, progresses. Number one is the expected assists in a given match, and number two, the amount of key passes he's delivering in those contests. And you're you're seeing a solid trajectory here of, of him being being involved more often than not. I think the the cross against Hani Mukhtar or two Hani Mukhtar that didn't quite result in a goal is anecdotally exactly what this team looks to do, which is get him up the pitch in moments allow his pinpoint crossing ability to come through overlap a good bit, but he also has so much one-on-one defensive responsibility when the team is playing narrowly uh, to, to protect against a, a squad that's going to counterattack using the width of the pitch. And so he has to check that. Uh, I, I think it's taken some pressure off Dan Lovitz though, to be that. And, and Jack yeah. is more naturally capable of getting involved in the attack. And I think any frustration we may see, look, he he thought there was a dumb yellow card against him. He was frustrated there. Every player is going to have a moment. Yeah, moment. You know what? He was wrong there. <laughs> that was, was as yellow as a card. It was totally yellow. It was, yeah. totally, it was even brief discussion of red, which was excessive, I think, yeah. uh, <laughs> on the broadcast team. But it was yellow. It was it was for sure yellow. Yeah. Not intentional, but not not great either. I think any frustration you see is is moment by moment, and I don't think yeah. we can chalk that up to a, a you know cumulative effect of grievances or anything like that. But uh, if Tim does jazz this uh, this graphic up a little bit, we can show you what what we're seeing here, which is I think informative to to that conversation. I think to sum it up, Shaq's doing what he came in to do, and yeah. the numbers will bear that out more probably by the end of the year. But the process is is right for him right now. Yeah, I'm going to go on a weird side tangent here because there's there's a narrative that Nashville SC has been bad with international signings, which I, I, is probably fair to a certain extent. Rodrigo Pinheiro's unmitigated failure, Ake Loba unmitigated failure, um, Jean Dercati's mitigated success to me. Many would say mitigated failure, but um, middle Hani of Mukhtar, the road though. Honey Mukhtar, obvious success, yeah. but people talk about Randall Leal and Shaq Moore as being failures in terms of signings internationally. Obviously, Shaq is an American, but his career had had been ex- exclusively outside of his home country. But um, like he's he's been very good, and Leal has been good when healthy. Obviously, he's been very unhealthy this year, unfortunately. But um, you know, if you look at the hit rate around the league. I don't think Nashville's done anything specifically poorly, and, and particularly when you look at the fact that um, many of their signings came during a global pandemic, which I think played a role in, in Jean Arcades and to a lesser, or I, maybe even to a greater extent, <laughs> Rodrigo Pinero's lack of being able to make an impact here. But um, look at the other club that that came in the same year and, and how awful basically every single one of their signings has been, regardless of whether they came yes. internationally or, or domestically. So it, it it's just a weird little side rant for me. Um, I've got I've got the extra time guys and the total soccer show guys on notice because uh, saying Shaq falls into some sort of failure uh, in terms of international scouting is, is just not fair. <laughs> That's a joke. First of all, 
the sample size is too small in his time with Nashville. But second, he fits exactly what he was brought in to do and he's doing yeah. it well. I, I can't abide that. And Lyle, I, I, think, I think there was like there was like one moment, it might have been even in the playoff match last year or one of the final regular season matches where he had a, a major goof that led to an opponent goal. And I think that's colored a lot of people's impressions of him. Similar similar to the Eric yeah. Miller situation sure. from 2020. Is one one key mistake kind of you know, is going to trump whatever anybody else sees out of him. And you combine that with a less than uh, spectacular showing in his very brief time in the World Cup. And I can understand how some are put, putting together a false narrative based on cobbling yeah. together small, disparate events. I, I I would challenge anybody to watch Nashville like we do. And I would Shagamore. challenge anybody to a fight. It's like, whoa, Wes. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not there yet defending Shaq. <laughs> if you start telling me Nashville parks the bus, then let's go. Let's roll. Um, Charlie Davies, twenty twenty, uh, and Randall. Uh, the only way you can knock him as a as a quote unquote disappointment, and that's the strongest word I would use, is only the the health issue, and he's as disappointed as anybody. Costa Rica would also be disappointed that he's not been involved. But you know, when when you don't get along as well with the new manager who doesn't rate you, and you're having health challenges at the same time, that's where things are just going to go. I think both have been unmitigated uh, in Randall's case, and promising in in Jack's case uh, successes for this club. In their times. Uh, last question, getting back to the to the U.S. Open Cup disappointment and how it may have benefited Nashville this past weekend. Logan, with how physically demanding this game was, was a key to this win, the heavy rotation midweek against Miami. And let's not just leave it up to us to discuss this. Let's go to Gary Smith, who addressed this directly in his postgame comments. Well, it's been a tough month. This is our seventh game in the month of May. It was always going to be a little bit difficult because of the schedule. And part of the reason for rotating the team in the cup, and by the way, I know I've said it a couple of times, but I thought the guys that played down in Miami put on a terrific performance and probably deserved more than they got in that 90 minutes. However, you know, we were bounced out. And the upside, if there was one, was that this group that played tonight, the vast majority of them, were fresher. You know, we're in a much better place to come and attack this game. And, you know, maybe if they'd have played on Wednesday night or, or, sorry, Tuesday night, maybe it would have been a little bit more difficult to, you know, to raise themselves and to force the issue a little bit when you go go behind. But I honestly, when I looked at the way that they were getting after the game, the energy, the drive, um, you know, it really was a good performance in that second half to to come from behind and to to find a way through to three goals. So I think I think the cup game and the lack of action for a lot of those guys probably helped massively. Tim, do you agree with Gary? Yeah, I mean I I agree that that, you know, giving a little bit of a rest to some of these guys helped and and he obviously has motivated reasoning for saying maybe we would have lost if we had gone with a first choice lineup against Miami because it 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 uh, vindicates his his ultimate decision in the Miami match to to say oh that's why we won tonight but um at the same time um you know I've previously talked about how I would have preferred to to go for the U.S. Open Cup and if you drop a couple regular season matches that's not quite as valuable there are 34 of those and there are only you know four uh, U.S. Open Cup matches before a trophy left so um I, th- I think his point is is valid and and the fact that Randall Leal was able to get some competitive match minutes for Nashville and, and, you know, then come back and, and play against a Columbus on Sunday night and, and really kind of ramp his way up. You can see a very clear ramp. It makes sense to do it that way. Even if it's, it's not necessarily what I would have done. I think Gary's point is legitimate. Yeah. I mean, you know, you get Hani a few minutes late against Miami after the weather delay, you, you let some of those guys keep their legs, you know, fresh, if you will. But I think it's different if Nashville doesn't have the midweek game against Miami the week before. If there's just a, a Saturday, a Saturday, and then a Tuesday, I think you might see them employing guys a little more liberally. But when you have Hani Mukhtar putting basically 180 minutes on his legs in two league matches, you can't start him again and then expect him to be ready for a key Columbus home match. I think there are a number of other you know practical considerations like that one that I could walk through and won't hear to, to not belabor the point. But my, my only criticism here of Gary Smith's approach was, you know, when you've got the game pretty much locked up against Miami at home the Wednesday before and Hani Mukhtar still in, in the waning moments. I think that's where you try to get him out a little bit earlier. Maybe that allows him to start 
almost a week later in Miami. But I think that was always the plan. The plan was always push these guys as hard as they can in league play. Trust that Miami is just not very good and a B team could still beat them. And if they don't, this is the trophy of all of them that you look at as least consequential, perhaps, despite the CCL bid that would that would come with it. It was a gamble that they were okay if it didn't pay off, I think. And it didn't yeah. pay off. And and it's worth giving a little bit of credit for how close it was to paying off too. Like I, I am yeah. obviously <laughs> upset that they didn't go for it, but they didn't go for it and still uh, had a really good chance to win that match. So um, yeah, the gamble, the gamble was, was I think more worth it than even I would have expected pregame. And playing chestnut checkers, good to get some yeah. of those reserves, some minutes to get them ready for either potentially being needed soon or for leagues cup where you want to have a good showing as you've expressed, you know, knock down Toluca. Um, and Gary's probably going to start a stronger lineup against Colorado than he should just because it's Colorado. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's, that's he, he's done okay against them, uh, historically. <laughs> uh, yes, he has. He is yet to lose to the Rapids since leaving Colorado, even when his USL team played them in the <laughs> Open Cup. Uh, going outside in and, and taking a brief look at the Eastern Conference standings here. Uh, and again, encourage you to follow along by looking up the table if you're not driving, uh, because again, hard as a visual medium, but Nashville with a game in hand on Cincinnati, or there is one more game played, I should say. So Cincinnati, a game in hand, uh, Nashville, five points out of first place. There was a log jam, Tim, a couple weeks ago, right around the 18 point mark. Nashville's continued to play its way above that now at 28, three points ahead of a New England team sitting in third with 25. And then it's pretty tight. Philadelphia and Atlanta separated by one point. Charlotte, Orlando, D.C. United, and Montreal rounding out the playoff places. Columbus disappointing, tied on points with Montreal, uh, but sitting in 10th place. And then I think that's where you really start to draw the line. NYCFC potential, but just so bad away from home right now. And good at home, where they just lost to Philadelphia. Maybe that's slipping. They're in 11th. Then you have Chicago, Red Bulls, Toronto, Miami. Where do you draw the line of teams that you think have a realistic hope of making the playoffs? Is it after NYC and before Chicago with those final four teams probably not having much of a shot as we go? Or is it still a little too close for you to make any kind of, um, you know, differentiations between playoff and non at this point? Yeah, it's tough because I I wouldn't draw the line like on the table. I would say there are specific teams, um, Toronto and Miami, that I don't really think have a chance of making the playoffs. But like, Red Bulls, I think, could go on a run. Um, yeah. They Their expected goal numbers are pretty solid, and their finishing was just bad uh, at the beginning of the year. Uh, they got a little bit of a bump uh, after the dismissal of Gerhard Struber, which often happens when teams are underachieving their expected goals and then fire a coach. Who knows whether that continues? Maybe their, their you know, performances in the underlyings drop off or, or maybe they start to meet them. And then this is like a really good team. I think Columbus is, I wouldn't even draw the line as Columbus might make the playoffs. I've, I've said it a couple of times already in this episode, Columbus is going to be in the playoffs. Barring Agreed. disaster. Agreed. Um, I w- I'm skeptical about Montreal making the playoffs. So even though they're playing better, kind of skeptical about DC, even though they're much better than they have been in the recent past. Um, You know, I look at Orlando. I think Charlotte is, is, uh, is unlikely to make the playoffs come, even though they're sixth right now, I think they're more likely to drop uh, four positions than to stay where they are. So it's a little fuzzy. Once you get past, I think um, the top five are, you know, we're, we're halfway through the season. They're not in, but it would be a huge surprise if they didn't make the playoffs. But after that, it's almost kind of scattershot. And it's based on my personal opinions on who's good and who's not, not necessarily where they stand in the table. Yeah, Nashville can be mediocre to bad for the rest of the season, which we don't think they will be, and still make the playoffs at this point. The line is usually 45 to 48 points. 15 matches into a 34-match season, Nashville's at 28. So realistically, they need between 17 and 20 points to finish off the year in the final 19 games. But of course, their aspiration, not just to get across the line, which the majority of teams will do, 9 of 15. Uh, so I guess the line's even lower probably points-wise this year, but but get up to the 55, 60-point range if they can. That's going to put them in contention, at the very least, to host a playoff game. Uh, I, I agree with your assessment, actually probably team by team, of who is likely to drop, who is likely to to rise. Um, it is worth noting Charlotte won four of five now, but there are only three teams currently riding a win streak in this conference, and that is Cincinnati and Nashville, one and two. And Philadelphia, a team that is playing its way into the position, Tim, we thought they were going to be. They've won four Mm -hmm. or five as well. They drew the other one. CCL is done now for them. They will mourn that fact. They went all in for that. Uh, But now they can focus on the league where they can be expected, I think, to be around the same point total as Nashville, if not 
if not above. And I, I, there's no shame. They're four points back of the boys in gold with a game in hand right now. Yeah, I, I, a blessing and a curse to be knocked out of CCL, I guess. But um, we've seen teams get knocked out of CCL and, and never really recover. Philadelphia did it almost immediately. And that's, um, you know, that's the most you can ask for. I think when you're stretched as thin as an MLS team is, they don't have 40-man rosters like um, Liga Emeki's teams do. That It is capped at 30. Um, obviously, for non-league play, you can bring up some academy guys in both LAFC and um, Philadelphia have done that for U.S. Open Cup and, and CCL. But it is a situation where I was worried after what happened in Seattle last year that Philly wasn't going to be able to bounce back. There was going to be some weird juju where they where they just couldn't do it either. And unfortunately, that has not been the case. They have they have been exactly where we expected them to be ever since. They've been able to focus on MLS as a competition. So um, that's definitely something that that I, I would have worried about them if they were down like where Columbus is right now. But I, I think they have kind of weathered that storm and they're going to be fine. Maybe uh, the coming weeks we'll uh, compare our uh, the current table standings with our table predictions at the beginning of the year. Could be a humbling activity for yours truly. <laughs> Toronto fourth, I believe, in the Eastern Conference. Yikes. Uh, quickly to the launch pad now, where Huntsville was a 2-1 loser to New York Red Bulls 2, a club that, if you're familiar with the USL days, usually pretty pretty strong reserve unit, knows how to play, and and got the job done. Huntsville just one win this year. But Tim, I think the note that is a note for improvement for this group, again, results are results right now. Development matters more, but they don't have a clean sheet yet, which I think a Nashville associated team, maybe that's a little surprising. They just played two home matches. So, you know, when you play at home, you're more likely to shut down the other team. I'm sure that's coming, but uh, fair to say, I guess the back line still kind of finding itself for that Huntsville team. And there's been a lot of rotation there. Ahmed Longmire started a few matches there, then he's out. These guys are getting experience, getting seasoning. Anything to flag there or anything else you want to talk about related to Huntsville? No, I think a big part of it is you you will see more open matches in a developmental league because that's kind of how guys develop and, and the major league soccer teams kind of go into it with the understanding that, hey, our, our guys are not going to win every game that we would expect them to because their job is to develop. And when we talked um, to Jack Carlson before the season, that's that's the sort of thing that he was pretty open about. Um, this club is is a work in progress. I think they do need to find not just the type of success that they found in the home opener, but they need to find a little bit more of a consistent feeling of success if they want to continue to fill Joe Davis Stadium. But I would not worry about them either as a developmental tool for Nashville SC yet, nor as a club in their own right in the uh, Eastern Conference standings of MLS Next Pro. I, I think they'll be fine in the long run. I don't even know what the the uh, playoff format is for MLS Next Pro this year, and it's, it doesn't come up immediately quickly, so I'm not even going to figure Same it out. But here, they, they, they may be able to play their way into a playoff position. We'll put it that way. Yeah, they've I also played uh, two fewer games than about half the teams in the Eastern Conference, so they're 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 doing all right, and I think they'll get a boost as they get comfortable at their home ground. Joey Skinner and Ahmed Longmire, Nashville's two most recent first-round draft picks, both started by the way against New York Red Bulls. Two uh, Skinner conceded a penalty. Um, in that loss in the 70th minute to uh, actually give New York the uh, the winner there. So uh, that is the launch pad. Shout out to the Soccer Knots, by the way, the supporters group in Huntsville. Saw that a few of them made the trip up to the Columbus match uh, this past weekend and spent some time with leaders of, of the supporter section of the back line uh, for Nashville SC. Glad to see that relationship blossoming. Um, let's head to the final whistle, and I, I'd like to just take a moment of perf- personal privilege here. Uh, if you don't mind, and not going to make a content recommendation, but rather a um, uh, maybe a uh, just a, a note as a heterosexual white male Christian <laughs> related to Pride Month, the most oppressed of all. <laughs> I know. If you listen to some some folks who are in my demographic, we are very persecuted right now. We are victims. I, of course, am saying that tongue in cheek because we're not. I want to I want to give a message to two people first, uh, first to the members of the LGBTQ community who, of course, um, are celebrating Pride Month. We are celebrating with you. And uh, this is a historically marginalized group. I want you to know that in my view, as a Christian. You are made in God's image and God doesn't make mistakes. And I believe that you believe that. But I want to say it on behalf of my personal beliefs and many, many who share my faith, because that is not the message you are getting quite often from those in the Christian community. And I want to apologize on our behalf. You are made in God's image. 
God does not make mistakes. Um, we celebrate with you. Now, to those who are not celebrating with you, to those, and I won't platform this gentleman by giving him the courtesy of a mention of his Twitter handle, but at least one person reaching out to Nashville SC and saying, first target, now Bud Light, and now you guys, you know, can you just focus on the soccer and not uh, embarrass the players or put them in an awkward position by making them wear pride jerseys? I want to tell that gentleman and others who might be tempted to use his words that Jesus reserved his harshest words for the Pharisees not for those with whom he disagreed or those who were different than him in any way, but for the Pharisees who would deem to speak on behalf of God instead of being radically open and welcoming. I believe scripture, my, my own personal inter interpretation, not speaking on behalf of anybody else here, my interpretation is that, that throughout the Bible, throughout uh, the Gospels, Jesus goes out of his way to be radically accepting and welcoming of those who have been marginalized in society. I, I mourn the fact that that is you, in many cases, LGBTQ community, and that you in our state especially don't always feel safe to be yourself. You have that privilege and that latitude and that opportunity in my eyes to be yourself and to be welcomed. And the DMs are open, uh, but for those who would deem to be culture warriors rather than uh, emulating the Prince of Peace here, I would remind you, regardless of how you may interpret the Old Testament, and I believe I might interpret it differently than, than many of, of you evangelicals out there, we are to be known we are Christians by our love, and the most important commandment is to love one another, love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we are not known for our love, we are doing something wrong. Okay, that's my soapbox there, Tim. But in honor of Pride Month, I wanted to let, I wanted to take a moment just to do my small part to push back against what so many beautiful, amazing, wonderful people uh, have heard for so long from folks who might share my faith, but maybe not my embodiment of that faith. So I'll, I'll let you go wherever you want here, serious or frivolous, but just wanted to take that moment of personal privilege. Um, on that note, if anybody hasn't um, participated yet, but is interested, you can get involved in playing for pride, which is the uh, for every goal Nashville SC scores over the month of June, you can um donate to a local charity. Um, there, are, there are different charities supported by the different Nashville SC supporters groups. Um, one of them is the Oasis Center, which has historically been um, the roadies uh, charity of choice. Uh, I do not remember some of the other ones. So so check with um, supporters group leaderships or check, check with their Twitter accounts if you want to get involved with that. Onto a, a less heavy <laughs> content you. recommendation as well. Uh, we talked about how Philadelphia is out of the... Uh, CONCACAF Champions League. LAFC is not. And the final first leg is this week, this Wednesday. Uh, LAFC, I believe, travels to Leon. I probably should have looked this up. Um, they do. They travel but, there first. Yep. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So they're on the road first uh, on Wednesday at nine o'clock our time. Um, you can catch it, uh, I believe, on FS1. Is that the case? I really should have looked some of this stuff up before I started talking. But um, yeah, it, it's. Um, a chance for Major League Soccer to get a win streak over Liga Emekis in CONCACAF Champions League. Obviously, the Sounders are the reigning champions. I talked about them um, failing in league play last year uh, just a second ago. But uh, it's definitely something if you if you like that kind of regional pride and, and league pride, which is something that uh, we know is very popular here in SEC country, um, you can definitely get behind LAFC uh, both Wednesday night and next week as well. Love it. Yes. Root for LAFC. That's that's Nashville's already played them. Nashville drew them. It'd be pretty cool to say the Nashville drew the Continental Champions and the, the MLS won CCL two years in a row. LAFC and Leon, I'll be watching for sure. Can't wait. Uh, Tim, I'm going to be out of pocket next week, so I'll wave goodbye for for a couple <laughs> weeks as I'll be uh, randomly in Europe for work. Uh, but I'll be following closely and be up to speed so that the following week when I'm back, we can talk more soccer. And uh, of course, we'll still have a show next week, so. Uh, looking forward to listening from abroad. Um, probably not right after you release the recording because I'll be in Eastern Europe. It's going to be quite random and fun. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but for those who uh, have been to ML Rose, do it again. Let us know how it is. For those who haven't, check it out. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music leading into the show. Thanks to the 440 Sports Network for giving us a platform. And remember, hop on Apple Podcasts, rate and review the show, subscribe to it. That's less important than rating and reviewing. What's the most important? 
is to tell a friend about us. We know many of you are doing that. The numbers continue to grow, and we love growing this community and the conversation around soccer and beyond. Thanks, and have a great week.